0: that is grapevine i am bo ransdell and this is hero hero go show hey how are you how you doing how you feeling i am so excited to be presenting this show to you right now um it's been a while because it always is you know i try to have this thing on a regular schedule and just gets all out of control anyway thanks for sticking around thanks for uh bearing with us you know it's a transition to kind of centralize everything under the um the devour label as well. Uh even though this still remains its own thing. It's not, you know, it's more of a devour the podcast presents, right? Uh and hopefully more people will listen and, and that would be great. I I am very proud of what we do here on the Hero Hero Go show. Um so uh tonight, like I said, we got a banger, uh folks. Where it, it may have taken a while to get to you, but I believe it's going to have been worth the wait. I genuinely do. Uh we we're we're coming fully loaded same some half-ass hero hero episode folks uh we got first of all we're talking about dark water one of the uh the greats the the uh hideo nakata um of ringu fame uh, uh doing his follow-up to uh, the ringu stuff and you know hey we'll get into it but ain't nothing wrong with dark water uh and here to uh talk about uh that movie with me is mike merriman we'll get to him in just a minute Also on the show tonight, one uh, Court Psyops to talk a little uh, Invasion of Astro Monster, the next uh, film on the G-Spot segment. And yeah, uh, not only that, we've got a, a little bit about Japanese divorce coming up for you because a lot of this movie hinges around that idea and I thought it would be interesting to investigate and it turns out it was a lot more interesting than I thought so I hope you enjoy that as well I think that's all the business out of the way as always uh you know like and and subscribe and leave reviews and all that fun stuff more importantly though just drop me a line and let me know how you're enjoying the show uh that more than anything uh it makes it all worthwhile so I, I appreciate that uh every single time I get a a message from one of you guys, uh, saying that you're enjoying the show. I appreciate it. Um, okay, look, enough screwing around. There's no more housekeeping to do. We got a a whole giant show ahead of us. So, uh, let's get to it. And joining me on the exploration of the film. Dark water, uh, is none other, uh, returning champion. Perhaps you were on the first season, right? I believe
1: have... I was on the second
0: episode, right? Of the entire
1: series. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. You, you, you are like kind of hero, hero, go show royalty at this point. Um, I
1: remember when you first announced the show, and I had that first movie in mind because it's, it, it was something I saw in like my early twenties, and uh that was before my podcasting days and i'd never had a chance to talk about it, and i was like wow what a perfect show to talk about it
0: yeah oh man those were the days we were so innocent and young and enjoyed singing on <laughs> leafy hill hills.
1: um the, the internet was friendly back then
0: right right uh you could go on twitter um <laughs> but uh, of course it, it, Mike Merriman is who we're talking about here folks uh and and speaking of the podcasting let's get this out of the way right now up front um people are after we get on with this conversation people are going to be like where can i find more mike i need more mike where can they find you
1: <laughs> well um i i'd be honored if that's if that's what they were saying so uh assuming that is what they are saying uh, i actually have a couple New shows now, uh no more room in hell is the mother show uh and uh we talk horror on that. It's more of a uh horror kind of horror uh favorites horror from the vault, all sorts of horror, you know that's what we do on that show, and uh my sister' show to that is called Fresh Cuts, which is new horror um so I've kind of separated out uh a side show for you know new releases v o d in the theater. Um, we just put out our top 10 of 2008. It's called uh fresh cuts. That's what the sister show is called. And then, um, of course theme warriors is still going the monthly themed podcast where we pick a theme and the four cast members pick a movie to go with that theme. So, um, a couple of those shows are probably new to people and theme warriors is the one that's still going strong. Probably being once a month helps, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, those, that's where you can catch me. So, uh, if you if they sound interesting at all to you, check them out.
0: Great, so Mike, uh, before we jump into the story of of Dark Water, uh, uh I would argue seminal horror film. Like if you're a J horror fan, Dark Water is one you got to get under the belt, right?
1: I this one has always kind of stuck with me through the years. It's it's definitely not the first one I saw. I mean, I think a lot of us kind of fall in the Ringu or the grudge as far as the first one, because obviously they had like American remakes pretty quick and that's kind of what set me off on the journey. But dark water is one I saw not too long after. And I just thought it it, it packed that emotional punch throughout the entire movie. It always stuck with me. And then of course, what do you know? They remade <laughs> this one too. Um, I, I think a few years after that and uh I, I had seen it a few times, but I actually hadn't seen it in a while um, leading up to doing this show. And I, I recently watched it. And I, I found myself um, kind of mixing memories of the original and the remake, just because it had been so long. And uh, there are some stark differences, some tonal differences that you know we we might get into later in the show. But yeah, Dark Water, I think it's 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 right up there with. Uh, with my favorites and uh we will definitely get into why
0: all right excellent uh so let us begin our journey uh into dark water it opens uh with its book ended kind of by scenes of children abandoned by their parents which Mm -hmm. I uh, always enjoy in film. That basically
1: sets the tone for the
0: entire running time. (laughs) Yeah, this is, and and this is something I'll just say up front. This is an, at times, incredibly uncomfortable movie to watch because it is, uh, (laughs) spoilers. Uh, if you're listening to a podcast about a movie that is now, you know, 16 years old, um, it, it is incredibly uncomfortable because you're watching a young mother losing her child gradually, you know, like Mm. at every step of the way, you're like, no, this is not going to go well. (laughs) Like, like I know you're, you're dealing with supernatural happenings and whatnot, but everything you are saying and doing makes you look crazy. And it's wonderful.
1: Yeah, exactly. And rewatching it this time, the the thing that really jumped out to me was the supernatural stuff. A lot of it is very subtle and, uh, this, it, it's really the story itself. That's just the emotional it's, 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 it's rough. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, brightness in this movie. Um, even the, you know, we'll get to the resolution, I guess later, but all throughout this, it just feels like a gradual downer. And, uh, Right. Usually, <laughs> there usually tends to be in J horror like some type of like redemption or some type of like balancing of the situation. But dark water, no, not not really. Um, yeah, this is more like
0: okay. an ending similar to like uh, Kudohara's Pulse, where it's like this mm. is not a happy ending, but maybe it's as good as we could hope for considering the dreariness of the story that came before and yeah it's all it's almost like the daughter
1: forced herself to like find a silver lining at the end like that final line of the movie it's like i guess i'll just have to look at it this way otherwise you know i'm gonna be depressed the rest of my life <laughs> right.
0: All right, all right all right let's not get to have ourselves. so <laughs> like like we were saying we we start with a little girl sitting alone watching the rain after class is left out and uh the teacher is asking this girl Yoshimi um, Who's coming to get her and it's mirrored with a shot of Yoshimi as an adult staring out the window because she is uh, at an office building where she is meeting with lawyers about her divorce or not lawyers. It, it's sort of. Uh, it seems to be more of almost like a magistrate i'm not exactly sure how the l- law works here, but there are like there's a council but she is meeting with people who will decide the fate of both her marriage and who would get uh the the child
1: right some type of mediation process looks like. right
0: and she's uh she obviously she wants to keep her daughter um who is Iku and her husband is raising a stink about this even though Yoshimi is pretty quick to say like you never cared about her like you you have shown no interest in raising your daughter until now and it seems like you want to do this just to hurt me. Mm, yeah.
1: Which uh, you know, I mean for any listeners that come through or come from that situation I might hit home. I mean so yeah, I mean basically yeah, the movie starts out kind of dreary to begin with. I mean, and this is like I said, or like we both said, you know, this is before we get into any of the meat and potatoes of kind of what's going on with where they end up. So we're already starting kind of from like a dark spot or a dark theme or a dark tone, if you will. And uh, that's just the first five minutes.
0: Right. Yeah. Speaking of setting a tone, you know, like the lawyers even bring up as they're you know, or uh, the mediators. Let's refer to them that way. Um, they they bring up the fact that Yoshimi had these previous mental health issues before she was married, and mm. the whole deal is she says, "Well, I was a a proofreader for a company, uh, for a publisher that did kind of smutty books, and she was reading all these sadistic novels, and she just went away for a while, like she had a little bit of a breakdown and." went away and got some treatment and has been fine. But of course, you know, we're dealing with some Japanese stigmas here, which are one is divorce and the other is mental health issues. Um, mm. And single parenting is also up there as well. You know, like Yashimi is a character sort of represents the woman who has failed in the primary function of being a Japanese woman, you know? Yeah. Um, kind of
1: like the damaged goods almost like you had your shot at a successful life and it's falling apart. And, uh, that's just the beginning of your troubles.
0: Right. Like, again, this is a movie where it starts off with your in a bad place and it ends with her in a worse place. So buckle in. And, uh, but so in the hallway, her husband's having a smoke and she is telling him like, Hey, it's too late uh for the truth to get him what he wants, you know like you are, you have been a an absentee uh, father and husband, and none of this is gonna work like all these tricks with like bringing up the mental health issues and so forth it that's not gonna work uh slight spoilers it it kind of does and, <laughs> and so then the next thing we have is yashimi with her daughter Iku. And Iku's, you know, I never know how children are, Mike. I don't have them. I I don't know how old they get. I don't know what they eat. Um, All I know is that she seems like she is, she's at least in grade school. She's probably, what, like eight or nine, maybe?
1: Uh, I would say anywhere from seven to nine, yeah. Somewhere in that range.
0: Okay. And so she's a, you know, cute little girl. And they are hunting for an apartment. They're looking for a place uh, to live a place, you know, this is something Yashimi needs to take to the mediators and say, I, uh, you know, I have a job, I have a stable uh, place to live, and here it is. And they go to an apartment building that immediately looks haunted as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: just walking up to it and going into it, it's like, uh, yeah, you might be offering me a good price on this but there's probably a catch and uh I don't want to stick around for that catch but uh, unfortunately times are tough cuz I believe she yeah she goes like on a job interview for another job correct but it pays like a lot less and she's almost kind of like backed into the corner of needing to rent this building yeah or rent the room i mean yeah
0: right she needs a place she doesn't have a lot of money um and there's a very eager agent that is pushing her like, you know, she sees him outside with the couple who's leaving and he's like, Hey, you know, you saw this couple, uh, this place is going to go fast. And there's a live-in manager. who's just kind of a gross older dude, uh, who watches the close circuit cameras that are all throughout the building. Um, notably (laughs) as they go up to the apartment for the first time, there is water on the floor of the elevator, and uh yoshimi feels iku take her hand except when the doors open mike iku was not taking her hand at all it's a it's a real uh. like robert wise the haunting of like you know theo you're hurting my hand you know it's mm-hmm. almost that kind of thing yep and that's we get our
1: our know, first bit of supernatural element to the movie um Effective as always, a little little subtle setup for what's to come. Um, you, you you could say like you know some of the things that'll happen in the movie are a little tropey, but hey, this was the era, you know it, it wasn't it wasn't overly done at the time.
0: Yeah, and also it's almost <laughs> like you know how does dark water scare you? Volume. It's just filled with little moments like this. Like there's there's are a handful of those really central kind of images. there There's one in particular in the elevator later that's like, eh, that's unsettling. But it's just peppered <laughs> with a lot of little moments like this of like, oh, there's water on the floor of the elevator and who's got her hand? And why is that stain growing? And, you know, it's just a lot of little things that add up. There's a cumulative effect to this movie, I would argue, that by the end of it, you're just kind of rattled. because of how it's built and um so yeah the you know there's a a brief glimpse of the traditional long-haired ghost on the closed circuit tv after yashimi realizes hey wasn't nobody holding my hand and we get that first flash of you know what what we think of as the japanese ghost the ghost girl yeah yeah and as we have discussed before here on this very show, that is the reason that they look so similar, you know, whether it's Ringu or Juan or Dark Water or you shudder even, you know, that all of this kind of has its roots in no theater, that that was visual shorthand for a ghost in
1: mm-hmm.
0: in Japanese culture for hundreds of years, if yeah. not thousands. It, it turns out they've been doing shit for a long time.
1: Yeah. A rich culture of history. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And and so that kind of stuff, like when you're, when you're like, hey, that's just, that looks like every ghost. It's like, yeah, that's what ghosts look like in Japan. You know, it's like that, you know, cats don't say meow in Japan. It's, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Ichu or something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but it, it's just one of those cultural shorthands. Like if you see somebody wearing a sheet with the eyes cut out of it, that's the American shorthand for ghost. Mm-hmm. Saying, so, you know, six and one, half dozen of the other. And anyway, enough about that. So Yoshimi notes that the pay, the apartments um, uh the humidity in the apartment is quite high. And the agent's like, Yeah, 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 we're gonna repaper the walls, they're kind of drooping a little bit. And he quickly leads her out of the room where we see that there's a stain appearing on the ceiling. And while they're goofing off looking at the apart or looking around the different rooms, Iku has gone missing. They can't find little Iku. She has wandered off into the, the depths of the building somewhere. And the, we see twin old ladies in the lobby, which I, w- I wish they were in the movie more because they're so weird. But there are the t- these uh, two old ladies in the lobby that say, like, our dog hasn't seen her, and it's like, this feels like we suddenly stumbled into the lobby of the hotel in Twin Peaks, which (laughs) I appreciate.
1: Yeah, they're just kind of randomly there, and it's like, are they tenants? Are they just visiting the manager? Uh, Who are they, and what are they doing there? Because not very many people seem to live in this apartment building.
0: Yeah, it's it's very bare, uh, and that's also one of the things I I think that makes this movie so unnerving. It's not like I'm going to make this comparison. I don't, I don't want to say that the two are the same quality, but it has that element of uh, the shining where there's this sense of isolation and just general, uh, like a a general uncanniness to the proceedings where things just seem slightly off.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think isolation and, Borderline abandonment are recurring themes in this movie. In in, uh, it shines through in many ways as the plot unfolds and we get to where we're going. It's, you know, we find out more things about like the mom's history too, and, uh, and that's to me, that's one of like the strongest emotional things about the movie. Uh, uh you know, and why this kind of stands out, um, as not just like you know a scary ghost movie it's because of just how damn dreary it is
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no you're you're absolutely right it is all right so let's because we're gonna get to some of those high high water marks (laughs) that's a pun almost (laughs) um so but when they when they realize Iku's gone missing and they run into the old ladies in the lobby, uh, Yashimi sees Iku on one of the uh, closed-circuit monitors in the lobby, but the super is like, I don't know what floor that is. She's just on the elevator somewhere. And Yoshimi goes looking for her. And we realize that Iku has found her way to the roof. And then she sees something off screen and smiles. Which is, again, this movie playing a little bit coy right now because it's like, hey, maybe it's a ghost.
1: <laughs>
0: maybe it's a cat. We don't know. Right. <laughs> and Yashimi's like going all through the building and she finally gets to the roof as well and finds Iku, where Iku has found a red bag, like a red, like a Hello Kitty uh, backpack on the mm-hmm. roof. And before Iku can say like this is mine, Yoshimi says, "Hey, that that does that <laughs> that doesn't belong to you." And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this to the lost and found because this belongs to somebody else, and you know you gotta you've got to do the right thing here. A
1: mother trying to teach her daughter a life lesson there, I guess. <laughs> Just because you stumbled upon it, it's not yours, but uh, that. That, of course, leads to uh peculiar happenings involving the red bag in the future. So uh I guess we'll continue on from there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of like the the girl in the red coat from Schindler's List. <laughs> uh It is. But yeah, that red bag, is, it, it turns out, is important. And and so it you know, our next scene, it's moving day. Uh, The red bag in question is still in The Lost and Found. And it's kind of one of the nice scenes, although it ends on an ominous note. But it's a nice scene of, like, Iku and Yoshimi playing around. And we see them as mother and daughter. And the fact that, you know, Yoshimi obviously loves her daughter. um, That Iku loves her mother. Like, they're a good family unit, if a broken one. And Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately though, the scene ends with a look at this growing water stain on the ceiling, you know, implying the 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 coming doom, I suppose. And uh yeah, I mean it's it's a nice little scene. It ends on a down note, but it at least gives us a little bit of grounding in the character, so later when more horrible stuff starts to happen, you know, we, we feel worse about it because of scenes like this.
2: Mm,
1: yeah, exactly. Yep there's there's no there's no uh semi happy scene in here that I can't get ruined by the end of it with something going on.
0: Yeah. And so we have a moment where Yoshimi is coaching Akuku uh, Ikuko for uh which is her full name. Uh, Ikus first, uh, full name is Ikuko. Um, for her first day at school. Where she's like, you know, you're going to go in and you're going to assert, my name is Iku and I'm the new student here. And, like, she's going to be bold and confident and all that stuff. And we're also seeing that, hey, this stain on the ceiling is starting to drip. You know, the water is starting to to leak down. And there's also another creepy bit where Yoshimi finds a hair in the glass of water uh, she's poured from herself from the faucet. And... like, not only do we see that when they actually leave the apartment, there's some schmutz on the elevator button. And it's just this sense of, like, slowly creeping, like, rot and filth uh, <laughs> throughout this whole scene. Well, you know, up to and including, like, Yoshimi on her way out telling the super, uh, like, hey, there's a leak in my ceiling. And he's like, all right, I'll make a note in the log about it. Yeah, that's uh one
1: of the most useless apartment managers ever depicted on film, I think. <laughs> he 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 doesn't seem to care about anything. <laughs> um I don't even know why he's there. I guess I don't know, maybe he owns the place so he just feels like an obligation to be present some of the time. But uh yeah, he doesn't seem in much of a rush to get anything fixed. At least not at this point in the
0: movie. Maybe it's more of a Mr. Roper scenario where like there's another movie we're not seeing where he's super obsessed with one apartment where it's a guy and two girls. And so as the movie dark water is playing alongside this other movie, he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll worry about your ceiling later right now. I'm worried about, is this guy gay or not? Cause we're not having a bunch of swingers in this apartment building. <laughs> That's what I hope anyway. <laughs>
1: oh, that'd be great. <laughs>
0: So, uh, Iku does, in fact, go to class and introduce herself, and she does it boldly and confidently, and she kind of nails it. And Yoshimi uh, is meeting with the principal, who is interrupted to uh, basically shame a student who called a teacher uh, stupid. Um, And he shames this kid for being fat. Like, who are you to call her stupid? Look how fat you are. (laughs) yeah i just just another random thing in this movie to make you feel uncomfortable right and yoshimi's (laughs) like that's that cool man but she's also not one to rock the boat like this is apparently a pretty decent school and all and she doesn't Mm -hmm. want her kid in trouble uh and again you know she's got this whole divorce hanging over her head and custody thing so you know yoshimi's looking to fly under the radar as much as possible and just keep shit on the down low but the principal and uh uh is he'll come back in, in the film. But it, it is a really awkward moment where you're like, Oh my god. Like if a teacher said that to you, you that you would never forget that. It's one of one of those things like, like I remember uh uh a, a teacher giving me a compliment once that made a giant impact on me, much less being like, Look at you fatty how dare you call her stupid? You know, like that would hang with me till till now. I would still be in therapy about that.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think that's in like the uh, teacher student handbook in 2018. <laughs> I think that's missing.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a step short of a battle Royale scenario, so it could get worse. I suppose <laughs> it's like, you call her stupid again. You're going to end up on the battle Royale Island
1: yeah we're gonna the, the bus is gonna swing
0: by and pick you up <laughs> right how would you like to fight for survival with an iron skillet fatty yeah or or you'll get like a you'll get a lame-ass weapon like
1: you like to eat so much you get a fork for a weapon
0: uh huh. like a plastic kfc spork <laughs> good luck oh, man. butter chunks
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway that that's a movie i want to see that's that's some Nibordo uh iguchi shit That's the movie he would make. Yoshimi's plight in Dark Water leads us to ask the question, is divorce really such a big hairy deal in Japan? The short answer is yes. The long answer, well, let's get into it. As you might imagine, divorce in Japan is considered a failure of sorts, though rarely on the part of the man. Pre-World War II, to paraphrase the godfather of Seoul, it was a man's world. The divorce rate in Japan was exceedingly high, largely thanks to the men of Japan being quick to discard their old wives whenever they felt like it. While we haven't gotten deep into the ins and outs of women's treatment in Japan prior to the Second World War, it was, to put it delicately, a real shitshow for women. Women had little social standing, they were taught to defer to men from an early age, and societal constructs certainly did nothing to empower the women of Japan. In the Meiji era, 1868-1912, to divorce rates were high, higher even than today. This grew from the ability of a man, going back to the Edo period, to divorce his wife with a letter. Really, that's all it took. You could decide you didn't want your wife anymore, jot down a few lines, and technically, you were now divorced. Oh, and there were the concubines. One of the many interesting cultural quirks in pre-modern Japan is this notion of concubines, who lived in the same household the wife was expected to run. Now, while the wife possessed more status in the marriage than these concubines, she was the hen that ruled the roost. after all, the men still indulged in all the pleasures of the flesh he could withstand. Keep in mind, concubinage was very rare amongst the lower class, and not much better for the middle class of pre-1900 Japan. In 1880, the ratio of concubines to wealthy males was about 4 to 10, so not every wealthy man had them, and not every wealthy Japanese man was presiding over his own harem. And yet, the tradition lasted up to the 20th century, when European and foreign traders would return with tales of a society steeped in masculine fantasy. So, with foreign influence making stables of concubines less popular within Japan itself, what we might assume as the Japanese view of divorce became something more recognizable. More so than in Western countries, though, the dissolution of marriage was considered shameful, and there was and is far more acceptance of marriages that remain together for propriety more than for love or loyalty. Not that the women had much say in that, either. Not until 1946, anyway. In 1946, Japan was occupied by the United States military, You might have heard about it in the news. Or check out Dan Carlin's Hardcore History for more on Japan in World War II uh, in a series that's still ongoing called Supernova in the East. It's a remarkable piece of work about a remarkable military. You really can't say enough things about how fascinating the Japanese army in World War II was. But with the U.S. forces all up in Japan's business... America was pushing Japan toward allowing Japanese women over the age of 20 to vote. I know it wasn't just America's pressure to be cooler to its women that made this change, though. There were thousands of women who were crying out for suffrage. The same thing that had happened here in the U.S. at the turn of the 20th century. Before we start feeling too superior, let's all remember that women did not get the vote in the United States until 1920. That's less than 100 years ago as of this recording. That's crazy. But there were women like Shizu Kato and Shigeru Yamakata who were instrumental in affecting change in Japanese culture. In fact, one of the prominent women's organizations in Japan at the time was called the Tokyo Federation of Women's Organizations. And they wrote a manifesto that began with this striking line. Quote, it is our responsibility to destroy customs which have existed in this country for the past 2,600 years, and to construct a new Japan that promotes the natural rights of men and women. Now that is the way to start a manifesto. So divorce rates remained largely low throughout the latter half of the 20th century. In the 50s and 60s, only 1 in a 1,000 marriages actually ended in divorce. In 1980, it had risen all the way up to one and a half divorces per 1,000 marriages. In only 40-odd years, Japan's divorce rates, while still lower than most, have risen to be much closer to rates in Europe and America. In 1996, already the divorce rates were up to about 24 per 100 marriages. But why? Well, part of it was Western influence. We're just not as concerned by the social ramifications of divorce. Young people certainly contribute, they tend to divorce more than their parents. Women's rights being on the upswing helps, making marriages soluble by both men and women. Finally, Yoshimi can tell her deadbeat husband to hit the bricks. But things aren't all roses for the ladies of Japan, who want to extricate themselves from marriage, even today. So, getting back to our movie, here's what Yoshimi is facing. First of all, in Japan, there's not really any such thing as joint custody. So if a mother wants to hang on to the kids, Yoshimi is probably going to be on the hook for all the financial obligations. Most women, too, have been out of the workforce while their husband earned for the family. So now that she's on her own, Yoshimi has little in the way of experience and skills and now has to support herself and little Ikuko. Also, a lot of Japanese businesses tend to hire for life. So once you're employed there, you just kind of work there forever. For a woman in her middle age, presumably, entering the workforce, there's not a lot of place for her. So, often cast into low-paying, entry-level jobs, these Japanese single mothers make up the highest share of working mothers in the labor force in any developed nation at about 85%. Also, topping the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development charts, poverty levels. That's right, 56% of these working mothers in Japan fall below the poverty lines. Now, there are some social programs in place to help, but it's not nearly enough. So, aside from the misery of raising a child as a working mother who's struggling to make ends meet, there's a larger, fascinating experiment at work here. As divorce rates have risen, casting many more single mothers into the workforce, how does a society that has long counted on marriages to remain intact deal with the sudden spike in dissolved marriages and the economic struggles of those fractured spouses? I don't know. And neither does Japan at the moment. As our suffragettes demanded, for the first time in 2,600 years, a new Japan is being made. One less encumbered by tradition. There's plenty more to this topic, both of divorce and women's roles in Japan, and we'll look at more in the coming months. For now, though, back to the dark waters. So, anyway, uh, Yashimi uh, is back home unpacking. She takes some trash out, and she sees the red bag in the trash. Uh, She doesn't rescue it or anything. She's just like, oh, I guess they finally threw this thing out. And upstairs, she keeps hearing footsteps um, above her, in the apartment above her, somebody moving around. And she ends up knocking over the bowl of water that was catching all the, the drops from the ceiling, And then uh, as she's going into the hallway, she sees kind of a spooky girl through the window of the elevator. And uh, she's going up like she's going to go upstairs and tell the people above her to knock it the fuck off. And uh, so she sees a spooky girl like in that, that apartment. But when she gets off the elevator and knocks on the door, nobody answers the door. And that's kind like she eventually just kind of gives up the ghost, so to speak. Uh, in, in getting somebody to answer the door but this is the first time that's just like oh yeah this is this is good old-fashioned j-horror meat and potatoes you know <laughs> here's here's a ghost girl here's some spooky goings-on in a house and or high-rise you know yep. it's, it's
1: <laughs> you're like right, this is where things are getting familiar
0: <laughs> yeah but you know again the it's a trope now at the time that these mm-hmm. movies were really landing you know this this was still pretty fresh and it still works you know like you watch this uh in a dark room as i did and you start seeing this l- little ghost girl hanging out in the doorway of her apartment uh it's creepy you know it's good old ghost story creepy and that's one of the things i really like about uh nakata in general you know this is the guy who did Ringu, he knows, he knows his way around a movie what has a long-haired ghost girl in it.
1: I, I think in this movie, the scares that are there are effective. Um, they're subtle, but they're shot well. Uh, the music is used, or the score, the background score is used effectively. And uh, like I said, I mean, I, I think the plot of the movie is so strong in how and how tonally dark it is that you tend not to need the more over the top scares you get in like other similar movies. And what what's used here is I would say more uh, um, like I'll repeat the word subtle, but when, when they show up on screen, they're effective.
0: Yeah. I I think one of the, one of the things about J Horror in particular, I really like of this era, this kind of, you know, Grudge, Ringu, Darkwater kind of or, uh, that era of America sort of waking up to like, holy shit, what are they doing? And I think at the end of the day, what they were doing, you know, there were some cultural picadillos for sure, where things seem slightly weird or odd because of of sort of that cultural shorthand that we were talking about earlier but beyond that it's just that they were doing old school like William Castle spook films but like you said shot really well with great scores and great actors and a good script and good performances and when you do that it turns out it works you know ghost stories are still creepy uh, mm-hmm. especially you know stories of dead little kids wandering around in abandoned apartments you know
1: yeah And I I think we've we've uh, put enough space in between the era of when they were churning out, you know, three, four a year um, to where now going back to revisit the ones that really made the impression. It just kind of reminds you of how damn good they were at the time. And they they still, you know, the cream of the crop have still aged very well. We're watching them now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can still uh, watch Ringu just in any old time. Uh, and the original Grudge, too. The original uh, Ju-on is, is fucking horrifying. I, don't, I'll, I will put that movie up against any horror film, quite frankly. Um, anyway, enough about that. Uh, tangents abound, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, um, Yoshimi, after all this business, calls the agent, the real excitable guy from the beginning of the movie, and it's like hey man i've got this leak and there's some weirdness going on upstairs and i'm not real thrilled with th- this arrangement right now and iku by the way is just staring up at the ceiling where it's dripping down and then looks down at herself and there's there is a uh, a really nice moment a really nice directorial moment where we see iku uh, reflected in the the bowl of water which of course, is a bit of foreshadowing for later in the film. And, um, anyway, uh, it's just good stuff. It's just one of those things that when watching it again, you're like, man, this movie is really well done. Like, it's not just spooky. It, it it's spooky because of how well crafted it is.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Like the, like you said, the face reflected in the water it's, at the time, that it happens on the screen, it's it comes off like it's a nice kind of touchy moment. But then uh, when things unfold later, you're like, ah, I see what they were doing there, and uh,
0: thanks a lot for having it lead to this. <laughs> right? Yeah. The the destination is an ugly one, but you you know Nakata was telling you that's where we were headed. Um, but all right, so Yoshimi uh, has her interview here, which is with this smaller <laughs> publishing house. And we're kind of bouncing back and forth between this scene and it's Iku watching the rain outside from uh, from school. And it's like, you know, the whole time that Yoshimi is in this interview, she's like, look, I got to pick up my daughter pretty soon. And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's a really small publishing house. Give me a second because it's so small. I got to go deal with this thing. And finally, she's just like, fuck it, I got to go. And so when we see Iku it's her, like we saw Yashimi uh, at the beginning of the film, waiting for someone to show up and pick them up from school. Like you said, this is the, the, uh, the theme of abandonment again of a child being left alone, uh, particularly in a situation like here we are after a divorce and Yoshimi's situation was the same. And uh, so, she has yashimi has this flashback as she's like rushing to get to Iku where she was left at school too long and has told her that her father's uh coming to get her and um uh, you know it's like Yoshimi's mother just flakes the fuck out and never shows up and then when we'll get to why that is later and so Iku then sees a girl in a rain slicker across the street. While Yashimi has, like, dumped this new potential boss, like, she gives him her resume and she's just like, I gotta go. You know, I'm done. And is rushing off to the school, but she, when she arrives, she can't find Iku anywhere. And then, while she's looking for Iku, Yashimi sees a poster for a missing girl, uh, you know, stapled up to a, a pole, a utility pole. Um, a girl named uh, Mitsuko Kawai. And we can't see her face, but we we kind of end with seeing like all these water droplets pooled on the notice on the pole, like you know again associating this girl with water.
1: Mm -hmm. And very cleverly done.
0: Yeah, again, watching this movie, uh, you know, for I don't know how many times, um, but watching it in preparation for this show, I kept getting struck with like this is just really good you know like th- this is while while you're watching even though the film itself is this sort of I don't want to call it slow paced it's just this very methodical story you know it's not it's not a big action movie it's this kind of tension building uh plot so um you know it it moves at a, a more gradual uh mm-hmm. sense of momentum but it's filled- but
1: every, every, I was going to say everything feels deliberate Everything, it doesn't feel, it doesn't, nothing feels like tacky. Every, every, the little instances like this, like the water pooled on the flyer or like we already talked about the reflection of her face in the water bowl. To me, it's all tools being used to uh forward the story and foreshadow and, every, you know, everything one once we get later on the movie and you think back to these things, everything was done for a good reason, and that's part of what makes it so effective.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I I think it it is just so well uh, well assembled, and and all those scenes are just so filled with those little moments that I never felt like anything was too slow. Cause it was just like, Oh, look at that. Look what he's doing here. And you know, by the time you kind of wrap your head around how good Nakata is, is framing this scene, you're on to the next one and he's doing something else that's impressive. And you know, like I, at the end of the day, like this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I think Ringu is the better movie, but I think dark water is a little bit maligned for just because it's not Ringu. And Mm -hmm. and that I think that as we're talking about this movie, I get more and more excited for it because I'm like, as good as Ringo is, like this is it. This isn't as good, but it's it's the close runner up. It's like if there had never been a Ringo, this would have been the movie that everyone was like, "Holy shit! Did you did you see what Hideo Nakata directed?" Um, Mm -hmm. and it's anyway. So uh, we'll get more into that on the back end, I promise. And so after uh yoshimi sees this poster for uh, mitsuko um yoshimi f- sees iku and her husband walking near the train and like to catch the public transit back into the city and uh yoshimi runs after him, and iku almost doesn't go with her uh in fairness like she's a little kid and her mother had just abandoned her uh, for all intents and purposes. So she's upset and all that kind of thing. And th- notably, they pass a family as they're walking together and kind of arguing about who, where Iku's going to end up going uh, that night, if she's going to go home with y- Yashimi or with her husband. Um, they pass a family that's like playing with sparklers. It's like, you know, mother and father and a couple of kids and they're super happy. And... um. <laughs> It's a nice little dig of just like, yeah, right. This is, you know, here's the picture of the perfect family. And and I think to his credit, I don't think Nakata is saying like any of this is Yashimi's fault. I think it's more like when you see a broken family that there's just stuff. There's There's always something broken under the surface.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, yeah, exactly. I think it's just, and it's more alluding to like the irreparable damage that's done. What, you know, whatever caused the situation is almost irrelevant to the fact that that is situation now. And, uh, so having that little comparison to where like, Oh look, here's the happy family with the sparklers. It's, it's more self reflection on all. Well, I wouldn't say, uh, the kid but just the parents themselves and whatever led to uh what got them in a the situation so
0: yeah yeah it oh it's oh so fucking good and uh anyway so on the way home iku finally decides she's gonna go with yoshimi and yoshimi uh picks up some fireworks and um and there's finally a, a nice little moment where iku says you know it's okay that it's just the two of us you know, in very direct response to what we've just seen with this whole family. And it's it, it's a nice moment where Iku, who is a kid who I, I like in this movie because she's not wise beyond her years or anything. She does little kid mm-hmm. shit. But there is this moment where she's just like, you know what? It's okay. Like, I know I, I know you're having a rough time and I can kind of see that as a child and I want you to know that it's okay that even though I made you know a stink earlier it's okay that it's just us and Mm -hmm. again a nice little moment that is just a a twist of the knife ultimately
1: and if only the movie would have ended there
0: (laughs) right if it was just like (laughs) hey the actually I'll tell you there is a point where the movie could have ended and it would have been perfectly happy uh, and we're, we're we'll get to it here in a second. Um, but yeah, so uh, Yashimi also says, Look, as long as you're with me, Iku, I'm gonna be fine. We're, we're gonna be fine no matter what. And again, nice little moment. And then the next day, Yashimi gets this message uh, from this small publisher that she got the job, and everything's coming up, Yashimi, at this point. And uh, she's uh, she gets in the elevator at one point and the elevator goes up to the fourth floor, which is the floor above uh, her apartment where, you know, she heard the footsteps and all that stuff. And then no one gets on and they're going up to the roof and Yoshimi gets uh, a glimpse of this girl again on the roof. And then she sees this red bag again and Yuku starts to go for it. But Yoshimi pretty roughly like grabs her and throws the bag away again it's just like no 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 don't touch this thing and it's here that Yoshimi starts to get what we call in in science Mike the jimmies um yep something's (laughs) off
1: she has that sense uh not 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 quite safe not quite sure but uh let's play on
0: the safe side yeah, but this also establishes, I think, this sense of Yoshimi trying to protect Iku. Mm-hmm. You know, that and ultimately that's kind of what this movie is gonna land on is is this idea that she is, she's going to protect her child no matter what. She is determined at this point in the film, like she's determined to hold on to custody that once that's over with, she's got her job, she's got her place iku's in school like everything's okay but there's still this this other thing like there's this red bag that keeps reappearing and there are these sounds upstairs and there's the leaking roof all that stuff is is what's keeping this from being an okay situation
1: yeah um i mean a mom's doing her best at this point to uh protect hold together and uh that's kind of where we transition into. What are we about halfway through the second act, or tr- trending towards the third act now?
0: Yeah, because this is the point where, like th- later, uh, Yoshimi is is kind of giving Iku a bath, and Iku says, "Oh, I've got this this bath friend named Michan who wants to live in the bath." And you're like, "Oh man, this movie's called Dark Water. We got a leaky roof." And now the daughter has an invisible bath friend. That's probably not good, right?
1: Yeah. Um, because I don't recall any show on Nickelodeon called Bath Friends. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where she's getting this from.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If they, hey, parents, if your kid tells you that they've got a bath friend, ask follow up questions.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: does your bathroom
1: have a window? Is that window locked and secured?
0: Right. <laughs> Do you take a bath the same time every night? Where does yeah? Does your bath friend come in the window at that time?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Where,
1: where where does your bath friend exit when it's when the bath is over? <laughs>
0: right. If they go down the drain, that's imaginary. If they go out the window, you got to make a phone call. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> His name is Ryan. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) so anyway at at the school later uh the next day uh we see some kids are playing and iku is playing um some hide and go seek she's uh, one of the hideys or hiders and um she ends up hiding in a washroom under some boxes and we see something start to come toward her and it's this dripping pair of legs that seems to carry a pl- a puddle with them like the the water is kind of emanating from this figure and pooling at its feet and stuff. It's this is one of those like all right, that's creepy.
1: Yeah, and there's a mo- I think though there's a moment before we see the legs where you kind of get the POB shot and you're almost half expecting the jaws theme. <laughs> like donut. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, and then, like you said, you, the kind of pool of water just goes with the, the feet and the legs, and you know it's not good, because <laughs> it's like, oh, so uh, this, this thing can leave the apartment building and go to her school. I think it was hide-and-seek the school. Is that where they were at? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's just like, okay, this is – and I think that's one of the more creepy sequences in the entire movie, just – you know, because she's kind of determined to hide. Because she goes to hide in that first spot, and the other kids are there. They're like, "No, you got to go find your own hiding spot." And so she's already like a another instance of, "Nope, she's gonna have to run off and be alone somewhere." And she ends up in that room by herself. And oh, look who's coming along! Could that possibly be her bath friend?
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, it's like those these kids are real assholes to her when when she tries to hide in the. Uh, the cupboard, or whatever, and they're just like, mm. "Get your own spot." It, it, it's like the Forrest Gump, seats taken, you know. <laughs> seats taken.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> and and so yeah, and and so we cut away from the drippy feet coming after Iku, um, to. Uh the like Yoshimi showing up via cab where she runs into the you know nurse's office, I suppose, where Iku is unconscious. And Yoshimi accuses the principal and the teacher of, of like basically you guys did something to her. Uh like something happened at this school. Like she doesn't just pass out like this. And mm-hmm. uh she then the principal brings up the fact well where he's like well you know you're going through a divorce right now and iku seems to be talking to herself a lot and it it turns out that uh she like uh, her art is like drawing uh mitsuko the the girl what has gone missing with a red bag Mm -hmm. and the principal uh or no, the it's a drawing that she has done of that Mitsko Kawai has done before she went missing. And uh the principal is like, yeah, she was a strange girl too, and she says her mother went missing and then so did uh Mitsko. And so we've set up this mystery of like, oh, not only did this little girl disappear, but her mother disappeared as well.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of people. <laughs> There's a lot of disappearing going on in this movie. Um <laughs> another reoccurring theme: disappearing. Yeah. So now, so now you're like, I'm scared of this ghost, but now I'm sympathetic.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, but that's sort of the, uh, you know, uh, another Asian horror trope is this idea of yes, like, yes. oh yeah, like you know, when you get the backstory on, uh, uh, Katako uh, from Juan. Then it's like, you know, uh, the, I get why she's a vengeful spirit, but also she is murdering or causing the death of just everyone who happens to wander into the house. And that seems fucked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a line for vengeance like you, you, you exact vengeance on the people who are responsible. Like that's a kind of a, a difference, I think, in a lot of Western horror films is that the villain in a western horror film uh, has a very specific group of people that he wants to kill most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with Jason, it's campers. You know, with uh, Michael Myers, it's babysitters, whatever it may be. In in a lot of Asian horror, it's just like, nah, this is just a cursed spot. It don't matter who you are. If you just happen <laughs> to set foot in this place, you're just fucked. Sorry. Yeah. You once you
1: once you get attached to designated area,
0: uh that's just the rest of your life. Right. Like Yoshimi didn't do anything wrong in this movie. She's just fucked. Mm hmm. <laughs> she she basically got
1: watermarked from the beginning.
0: Oh, well played, sir. Hey everyone, welcome back to the G Spot. I'm Bo, with me as always is Court. Uh, What's up, Bo? I'll tell you what's up uh, there, Court. It's Planet Zero or whatever. All (laughs) things
3: have a number, Bo. The planet has to start somewhere.
0: Well, in this case, it's Planet X. Uh, This is, of course, Invasion of Astro Monster, my preferred title, uh, because it's a little doper. And uh, also known as Godzilla vs. Monster Zero. This is the sixth. Uh, Godzilla film. Uh, the 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 sixth time Godzilla has rolled into battle court, and I for one uh, could not be more excited.
3: This is a leaner, trimmer, more meaner Godzilla than we've seen in the last five iterations. He's not messing around at all, though.
0: No, he's got an extra grind after uh, the last tussle with King Ghidorah, who got kicked the fuck off the planet for his troubles. I for one am glad to see. Uh, A return to form, but let's just get to the movie here, Court. First of all, under the credits are satellites and spaceships, and that's just cool. Who doesn't like space, Court?
3: Probably people who will die in space without the proper uh, equipment to keep them alive, like helmets. Point well taken. Spaceship P-1 uh,
0: uh, hails the World Space Authority. They're on their way to Planet X. Now, these astronauts are bitching about not being able to walk around, but Dr. Scientist back on Earth, says that they're going to get plenty exercise on Planet X-Court.
3: That would definitely be a good thing to have happen, because they've been sitting on their butts for far too long, and we all know that's not good for the heart.
0: Also, one of our pilots, Fuji, uh, has a sister who's dating an inventor, and Fuji is none too pleased about it. Uh, It's essentially like dating Doc Brown, which is not a great idea. Didn't work for
3: Marty. Probably won't work for her, Bo.
0: Didn't realize they were dating, Court. But now that you uh, mention it, it's hard not to see it that way. Um, Tetsu,e our inventor, is making some kind of loud noise machine. Uh, gets a complaint from a neighbor, uh, but uh, more importantly, he's getting a phone call uh, from a company that wants to mass produce uh, or buy the rights to his loud noise machine. Uh, I don't understand exactly what this device is supposed to do, Court other
3: than, in fact, make a loud noise. Well, the name says what exactly it's meant to do, Bo, is be a loud noise machine. They could have easily just named it Annoy the Hell Out of Your Audience every time this thing plays.
0: It's a real weenie shrinker, Court. Uh, Dr. Scientist explains the discovery of Planet X. Uh, It seems to have been causing recent disturbances, and they can't tell if there's actual intelligent life on this planet. Now, uh, at dinner, Tetsue, our inventor, tells his girlfriend, lady friend, about the fancy contract that he got, and Miss Namikawa shows up regarding the contract, and va-va-va-voom court, uh, one Miss Namikawa is one hot tamale, Uh, Japanese-speaking.
3: I would say that she's out of this world, sir. Out of this world. Well
0: played. That's foreshadowing, folks. Uh, it turns out that she knows a lot about, uh, Harone and, uh, and her brother, Harone being of course the sister that is Tetsue's, uh, girlfriend slash potential, uh, fiance. Um, more importantly, court, the, the P1 is, uh, having a little trouble up in space. It goes upside down for a second and then it turns over to the right way. Uh, Woo.
3: I would have to say that it's probably Nick Adams piloting that caused this to happen. He seems like a showboat to me, Bo, and I think he's just trying to show how awesome he can be.
0: If you ask me, Court, it's one Sully Sullenberger uh, at the helm, uh, guiding us safely into the harbor for a landing.
3: Who would have known that pelicans are a problem in space as well, Bo? Space pelicans, Court. It's one of the
0: most dangerous and ironically tastiest creatures in space.
3: You haven't lived until you've had a space pelican cooked by atomic rays from Godzilla's breath.
0: It's a shame that they're force-fed the livers of other space pelicans to achieve that delicious nature, but what are you gonna do, Court? It's too good to pass up.
3: Cruelty is delicious, Bo. It just tastes delicious. They come into sight
0: of Planet X, and Space Control, whatever the hell that is, tells them that they're on their own once they land. That's what you want to hear from Base, Court. Once you land on this faraway planet, best of luck.
3: It always happens to Matt Damon, it seems like, and it looks like Nick Adams is not immune to this either, Bo. Fuji plants a a flag, but in
0: so doing, finds some footsteps, which uh, obviously suggests that Intelligent Life is on Planet X. Glenn, our white guy, uh, stops responding to his radio. When Fuji gets back to the landing site, the ship is gone. A cylinder rises from the ground and the controller of Planet X insists that Fuji get in. Uh, It's worth noting that they're all wearing jumpsuits and Nike tennis shoes.
3: What other options do they have at this point, Bo? Their ship is gone. All they have is the cylinder that's going to make their survival happen. If you hear
0: someone is the controller of Planet X, Court, the best you can hope for is that they're one of uh, Public Enemy's hype men.
3: Either that or one kick-ass DJ in our modern parlance.
0: A laser beam shoots the gun out of Fuji's hand, and Fuji finally surrenders. At space control, they're starting to get worried because they haven't been uh hearing from our valiant astronauts. But then again, also just moments ago, they were telling them that they were on their own. So, you know, don't get so high and mighty about it, space control.
3: Space control's all like, it's not you, it's me. But then again... Why aren't you calling me?
0: Yeah, Space Control seems to have a real passive-aggressive relationship with uh Spaceship P-1.
3: Don't bother me, but why aren't you calling me?
0: Yeah. yeah uh, a lot of checking the messages uh from Space Control. Uh, Fuji is told to follow a light, and I'm pretty sure he's either dead or about to join a cult.
3: Either way, the outcome is not looking good for him.
0: Nope. But he ends up finding Glenn at a big table. Some dudes in some really killer shades show up with antennae coming out of their heads. Uh, Glenn and Putin sit down. While they're talking, Monster Zero shows up, and the controller talks about what an asshole Monster Zero is. What do you know? It's Ghidorah Court. Good old King Ghidorah.
3: Once we've mentioned it before, and now I shall mention it again, all things have a number on Planet X. The monsters is zero. This is true.
0: Uh, The controller puts a dome over Glenn and Fuji and then turns out the lights. When they show back up, the controller wants to borrow Godzilla and Rodan. In exchange for these monsters, Planet X will give them a drug that cures all diseases. Now, it seems like a deal too good to be true, Court. A drug that will eliminate all disease on planet Earth. And in exchange, you get rid of Godzilla and Rodan, who, as we know from the last movie, don't really give a shit about people anyway.
3: It seems like a win-win situation for Earth and not one that they can pass up. But if you've got a powerful titan that is Godzilla, as well as one that's like Rodan, don't give them away to the first planet offering you disease-free life. It's the oldest trick in the book,
0: Cord. Uh, An intelligent civilization comes along, they dangle a, a pill that will cure any disease in front of you, and all they want is like, come on, baby, just give me your monsters. You know you want to.
3: Never trust anyone who wants to go for the monster on the first date.
0: Yeah, you wake up and find a hand down Godzilla's pants. You call that date right then and there, mister.
3: Even if they do have a pill that can cure all diseases, because you never know, they might give you just the one the pill can't cure.
0: Oh, sure. Herpes simplex, uh, you know, space 12 is uh, is tough to knock out with even the most powerful of
3: ampicillins. That is also known as Bond 12.
0: Fuji and Glenn are sent back to Earth with uh, the request. After they leave, the controller uh, talks an alien language and chuckles to himself in a way that suggests that possibly he does not have the best interest of Earth at heart.
3: Don't trust anybody that dresses in sequence with everybody else unless they're in an indie rock band.
0: Or in Parliament Funkadelic uh, Court. Back on Earth, Tetsue is asking what they're doing with his invention. A guy who is definitely not on the up and up says to get rid of Tetsue and the invention. Tetsue and Harone show up for dinner with Glenn and Fuji, and it turns out Glenn's date is Namakawa, our Hatsuki Miktotsuki from earlier.
3: She's definitely still a beauty not of this earth. Good callback, Court.
0: Fuji tells Tetsue he'd better come up with something special if he wants to marry Harone, basically implying that Tetsue's is a big fat loser that couldn't get a real date if he tattooed a $100 bill on his forehead.
3: Soon he'll be an Iron Man, but for now, he's just a soft aluminum loser well played court
0: a search party does in fact find godzilla uh at the location that planet x has uh has pointed out glenn takes fuji to the lake where godzilla is sleeping and tells his pal that he saw the controller they are kept from searching glenn's fuck pad because godzilla it turns out is waking up About that time, a spaceship flies out of the lake and a bunch of soldiers want to shoot it, but then another spaceship comes out of the lake, and by the end, there are three of these sons of bitches hovering over the lake and freaking everybody out.
3: Spaceships emerging from lakes are always a cause for concern, particularly whenever somebody wants to take your kaiju.
0: Underwater flying objects, Court. UFOs.
3: Not sure that's what it stands for, Bo, but I'm going to go with you on this.
0: Pretty sure I read that somewhere. So one of these UFOs lands, and it's a contingent for Planet X including the controller. They're all grateful for help, but our astronauts wisely don't trust them, Court.
3: Why should you? They're all dressed like they belong in a reject band from Devo.
0: Or a dinner theater version of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat.
3: Either way, they're shady as fuck, Bo. Shady as fuck. So these transport saucers nab Godzilla and
0: then carve Rodan out of the rocks. They take off to space with them. Glenn, of Fuji, and Dr. Scientist join the Exians, on their ship to go back. Glenn tells his baby, a.k.a. Namakawa, that he will marry her when he gets back. Tetsue, not trusting her, then follows Namakawa.
3: It seems to me that these Planet X folks need to learn about consent. We didn't offer up our kaiju to be taken. They just carved them right up out of our planet.
0: But sometimes, Court, that's how you want it. You may say, hey, I want you to carve my monsters out of rock, but deep down, you kind of want them to carve those monsters right out of rock. Not sure I would agree with you there,
3: Bo. That seems a little dark even for you.
0: You can't kink shame me, Court. The X-ship, it turns out, runs off of brain power. The controller thinks Glenn has too many fucking questions. As he seems to. As he seems to. Back on Earth, Namikawa meets with the weird dude who bought Tetsue's shit. When someone says that Tetsue is on the island, the creepy dude then blames Namikawa for it. Tetsue, it turns out, gets down with some snooping but he gets fake floored and, uh, and and shot right down one of them open platforms right by the front door sorts of situations.
3: Kind of interesting. We brought up Bond before, but we're starting to see a whole lot of international man of mystery popping up in our kaiju films here. Fortunately, they're not the boring-ass
0: spies we saw in the last movie, these are alien spies, Court. Well,
3: all spies are alien if they don't come from your particular locale. Uh, some Exians have gone up to the uh, the
0: surface of Planet X to suck off the water, but Ghidorah shows up. And the force fields around Rodan and Godzilla are removed. Neither seem like they, they enjoy being on an alien world particularly much.
3: It would seem that the environment is kind of harsh for a lizard's skin, and they're both reptilian of some sort.
0: Speaking of... The other monster on this planet is Ghidorah, and that's one monster too many, Court.
3: As far as Godzilla's concerned, even Rodan is one monster too many.
0: You got that right. Godzilla tries a little cover-based shooting with his atomic breath, and he does a happy dance, which is maybe one of the greatest things to ever happen in any Godzilla film.
3: I believe that was a cultural thing that they decided to have Godzilla go ahead and do. A little wink and a nod to make us all laugh. Works for some of us, like you, and for others... Makes us a little queasy, like me. I love it, Court. You show
0: me a happy Godzilla, I'll show you a happy bow. Glenn and Fuji go poking around the space station. Slowly pursued by the Exians, they figure out a giant elevator, and they get on some kind of Star Trek set that also has gold in them, their walls.
3: Possible reason to come back to Planet X after Godzilla clears everything out. We could be getting gold brought back to Earth.
0: Finally, it's no longer a precious metal and just a yellowish hunk of rock, Court. The future we all look forward to. When you can flood the market, you can control the spice. If you control the spice, you control the universe.
3: First you get the gold bow, then you control the spice, then you control the universe. Then you
0: get the women.
3: Then you can have the sugar.
0: What is time again? Also, Glenn sees Namakawa... And it turns out that uh, there's another Namakawa coming out of the hallway. Fuji wants to cheese it, but the Exians show up to take him captive. Turns out that there's a bunch of Namakawas, uh, all controlled by said controller. The controller gives the cure to uh, Glenn and Fuji and sends them packing on the P1.
3: It would seem to me if you could have more than one Namakawa, you would make as many as you possibly could. And never before in my life have I ever wanted to be a controller as much as I do
0: right now. That's creepy, Court. Fuchi says Rodan and Godzilla are giving them the stink eye for leaving without him. But but Glenn is like, hey, fuck those monster assholes.
3: That seems a little messy, Bo.
0: It's a good point. But then again, that's why they're in a spaceship, Court.
3: Well, yeah, you could always eject that out of space and then nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Harone shows up at Creepy
0: Dude's place to look for Tetsue. Namikawa says... Hey, we haven't seen him, but also he's in a jail under the building. Creepy dude says they're changing history there. And they have to do plan two of item four, schedule five, whatever
3: the fuck that is. I believe that has something to do with reanimating the unburied dead. It might be plan nine from Planet X.
0: No, no, I'm pretty sure this is plan two of item four, schedule five. I think that just might be tater tots. Either way, the consultants that came up with this plan are definitely getting fired, Bo. People responsible for their sacking have been sacked, Court. The P1 returns to Earth, and the creepy dude says, Let's watch. And then we do in the movie. So, alright. Sometimes whenever
3: your kaijus are returned, you just have to sit there and watch.
0: The astronauts present the Earth Council with the cure. When they play the tape, though, it's no cure at all. It's Jigsaw saying he wants to play a little drug game. No, wait, it's the controller, saying the Earth has to surrender and be a colony of Planet X.
3: Who would have known that they would have ghosted us with a possible cure in a manner of taking our only means of defense against their main weapon, Monster Zero, a.k.a.
0: Geydra. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal indeed, Court. Never
3: trust an alien, Bo. Xenophobia is that way for a reason. That's why they call them
0: xenomorphs. Uh, there are riots between two sides on Earth, one side who wants to go ahead and surrender, and one side that doesn't. Glenn ends up meeting Namikawa at the old astronaut office that's all busted out, and she wants Glenn to surrender so
3: that they can get married and get a nice place in the Hamptons. I don't believe it's the Hamptons here on Earth, though, Bo. Doesn't she say something about wanting to make him come back with her to Planet X?
0: Uh, who could know? She's a lady, Court, and I don't hear all that so good.
3: Doesn't matter where I have to go to be with her, I would be with her regardless. Oh, sure.
0: The the controller then shows up and burns the gun out of Glenn's hand. Glenn is r- space-arrested, and Nabakawa slips him something before they straight-up disintegrate her.
3: So, emotion means extermination. We've seen it before, and we'll see it again. Anytime someone tries to control your emotions or keep you from having them, once you demonstrate them, you are obsolete. We call that going
0: Gattaca. A a saucer rolls up on Dr. Scientist and his pals and blows up the P-1 and all their satellite dishes. They now control Ghidorah, Rodan, and Godzilla, and we see Rodan and Godzilla having, I don't know, a smoke break, apparently.
3: It was in their contract that whenever they're not fighting, all they're going to do in this film is sit there. Good for them, I say. The controller says this is
0: Earth's last chance to surrender, and it turns out that Planet X is basically just shitty Borg. In indie rock outfits, no less. Right. It's like if uh, Devo told you that resistance was futile. Question, is resistance futile? (laughs) Answer, we are Devo. So Glenn is thrown in jail with Tetsue, and then the controller rallies his computer peeps and tells them to get ready to kill. Dr. Scientist then proposes they interrupt the magnetic wave control of Rodan and Godzilla, and they're going to use the... A cycle light ray, you know the A cycle light ray court. I'm sure that
3: exists. It sounds like something sciency, Bo.
0: And really, that's the best we can hope for at this stage of Godzilla film. Vaguely sciency is the high bar.
3: Yeah, that could work. Is how you should push that button that says <laughs> "I believe." <laughs> Glenn finds
0: a note in his pocket from Namikawa that says that all the residents of Planet X can be stopped by a loud noise hey, where have I heard a loud noise before in this movie?
3: You know, if it's something that's going to annoy the living shit out of a normal mortal, it's got to take care of the people from Planet Expo. We're looking at that noise machine from earlier. And if it's got to
0: be annoying, it's got to be Tetsue, who has one of these devices in his coat pocket, and so they use that to knock out the guards and escape. Then they put some guards on a
3: boat, and a saucer blows it up as a ruse. It seems to me that Planet X should have developed more means of searching people before they jail them. You got that right, Court. I think they just went straight for the butt probe and stopped there. Aliens always probing the butts.
0: Always forgetting the breast pocket, because aliens, Court, don't have breasts. Or pockets. Oh, maybe that. So the Xians wake up Godzilla and Rodan finally, who go on the attack. Godzilla is stepping on every structure he can find. It's a real Godzilla two-step.
3: It's a stomp fest for sure, Bo. I'm not sure if it's two steps or maybe a foxtrot. Either way, things are getting flattened under those feet. He's Lord of the Lizard Dance Court. We've seen it earlier in the film. Whenever he was doing his happy dance, now he's doing his smash dance. He's got to cut
0: loose, foot loose. Kick off your Sunday claws. Jeez, Louise. The Xians then add Geeter into the mix of attacking monsters. The military shoots some missiles at Godzilla, and now he doesn't even need the exians to nudge him into stomping buildings.
3: Now he's just pissed off. Never shoot a missile unless you're positive it's going to destroy your monster, because all you ever do is anger him, and they made that grave mistake more than once in these films.
0: Rodan is using his flap attack to do some business, too, and it's some pretty good model work here. Rodan definitely blows away all competition whenever he goes with his attack bow. They call him the Breeze Court. Doctor, scientists, and company broadcast the loud, irritating noise, and then they tell everyone to turn up their radios and join hands and sing together in one voice. Then the A-beams, or whatever, lays out all the monsters and make them twitch like they're coming off Kong berries. It's been
3: a long time since we've seen the monsters have to shake off a hangover of this magnitude, and it makes them even angrier, Bo, and they know who caused it. Those darn aliens from Planet X. When they finally get
0: up, it's Rodan and Godzilla versus Ghidorah again in a rematch of the previous film. The scientists decide to wisely fuck off, and Godzilla charges Ghidorah,
3: and the two end up rolling into the sea. Rather excellent fight that we have here, Bo, and it's nice to point out that we never needed Mothra to defeat Ghidorah, even though they were featured prominently in the last film.
0: They were indeed, but those punk-ass worms are nowhere to be found in Invasion of Astro Monster. It's just Rodan and Godzilla taking it to Ghidorah, and it is some quality monster stomping.
3: Without any little girls singing praise or a whole island of people worshiping, Mothra is completely useless. So apparently Godzilla and Rodan
0: uh, end up in the water. Ghidorah flies off. Glenn is going back to Planet X as some kind of ambassador and roll credits. Once
3: again, Gidra is chased off, only the number of kaiju it takes this time significantly less.
0: It, it's like Godzilla had prepared, Rodan had prepared some. They went into this knowing what Ghidorah was capable of. He comes out with his three-head electricity breath. That's old old news to Rodan and Godzilla by this point, who are more than up for the match. Uh, it, it, it's a solid defeat of Ghidorah, uh, who who flies away in shame. Uh, I got to say, my biggest complaint with uh, Invasion of Astro Monster Court is that there's not enough monster action, but the B-plot is way more fun and silly in this one than in uh, the previous film.
3: Yeah, the monster fights themselves are put to the side with a lot of controlling going on from the very controlling controller of Planet X. However, when we do get some monster action and it's time to throw down, it may be quick, but it ain't gentle.
0: Well, court, uh, we look ahead now to the seventh matchup with Godzilla and, uh, in this tournament of champions, uh, next up is Ibra, uh, AKA Godzilla versus the sea monster. And I got to tell you, court, this is a hometown favorite for me. I absolutely cannot wait to uh, discuss this one with you. This is uh, a lobster monster V Godzilla with a hint of mothra
3: also important to point out this is one of the first films where most of godzilla's action is contained on a single island and i'm looking forward to it bo
0: yep we are right around the corner uh cord from our uh, mega episode where we are going to take on destroy all monsters we have uh, godzilla versus the sea monster then the uh classic son of godzilla
3: and mm, then... that's a
0: pretty big question mark bo and then court one of the finest pieces of entertainment ever uh put to film destroy all monsters so uh thank you as always for being with me sir thanks for having me bo i'm glad to be a part of this we'll see you next time when godzilla gets down with ibera right here on the g spot watch out for the pension, folks um uh, where were we? oh yeah yeah so um we're back at the mediators and they're like hey um so we've got a couple of things to ask you about like you were late to pick Iku up and there seems to be a, a situation with her kind of sleepwalking at night um uh that that Yoshimi did following her parents divorce and when outside the this mediator's room, she sees her husband stamping out a cigarette, and it's leaving behind the same kind of mark that we saw earlier on the elevator button. And she thinks that he was the one who who not only made that uh, uh, mess of the elevator button, but she's accusing him of planting this red bag, kind of gaslighting her. Like she's like, "You're yeah. fucking with me to try to get custody." And he says at that point, like, I've gotten an attorney to represent me. And Yoshimi kind of loses her shit on him. And at the end of the day, it's like, this was not a great meeting for Yoshimi Uh, kid-wise. She was emotional and she was upset. She has a right to be, but it makes her look crazy.
1: Yeah, not her best showing in front of the mediator. Which, you know, like you said, partly justified, but still you know, throwing out the wild accusations is not helping the cause.
0: And, and so now we've got this, this dude who wants to help Yashimi. and, and he like gives mm. her some tea and calms her down. And he's like, look, you've got to stop acting fucking crazy. You know, like if you want to keep your daughter, you've got to pull yourself together. And, uh, so then we cut away from that to, uh, auntie who, uh, has been watching EQ and this is uh, Yashimi's sister, who uh, kind of badmouths Yashimi a little bit before she takes off. Um, and then Yashimi uh, ends up falling asleep beside Iku, and they're taking a nap. And then water starts to drip on her. And she dreams of a girl with a red bag waiting for someone as the rain falls. I mean, it's uh, the scene we see over and over and over again of somebody waiting for someone that does not come. And the girl wanders home in the rain alone to the apartment building. And she gets on an elevator with a couple of workers and, you know, her face is obscured. We don't see exactly what she looks like, but we didn't get to see what Minsko looked like from the flyer either. That was obscured because of the rain. And, and then Yoshimi wakes up. But it, it's one... I, I like how this movie handles all its exposition of instead of having that like third act reveal of like, you know, well, it was old man Markham, you know, he wanted to get uh, the old circus started up again, but to do that, <laughs> he had to get the carnival closed down. Um, <laughs> it's it's none of that, it's just like these small little drips <laughs> of, of information. Yeah. Like, like we we have this moment where we have Yoshimi identifying with with Mitsuko ultimately of this little right. girl who was who, who whose mother did not show up and is now going to look for her uh, walking home and um anyway it's uh by the end of this it's all very haunting and mm. she so she wakes up and and her bed is wet and Iku is gone. And we see that the stain on the ceiling is even bigger. And Yashimi sees the elevator uh, heading for the roof, so Yashimi goes after. Her. And there, we see that there's a dark stain on the floor of the elevator as well. And via the closed circuit uh, t- TV monitors, we see that where that puddle is in the elevator, that there's a girl standing there, but Yashimi don't see her, uh, which yeah. is. That's always one of those things that kind of gets me is the idea of, like, a camera can see this thing, but you can't. And, by the way, it's right beside you. <laughs> uh,
1: those those cameras with, like, the Terminator retina technology, I guess.
0: Yeah, Right, like <laughs> infrared or it, super uh, heat vision or whatever the fuck. But, yeah, I like that stuff quite a bit. And I, I think this scene really works. Uh, and so... She goes to the roof, Yashimi does, and she sees the big water container up there and the big tank and there's a girl hiding behind the tank, and she goes to look, but no nobody's there and so Yashimi climbs the tank again, she's looking for eco this whole time eco mm-hmm. and she sees uh the red bag again um after she climbs the tank and Yoshimi calls her husband and accuses him of like having taken EQ and he's like I haven't seen her what the fuck are you talking about and by the way <laughs> is something crazy happening because that's good for me and then Yoshimi is hearing footsteps above her again and there's still water leaking and she goes back up to that apartment and the doors locked but then suddenly it's open again. Like the, the, or not again, but the, the door to this apartment that she has heard all these footsteps and the leak is coming from and all that stuff, it is now open. So every instinct would be to not go in that room. But of course, y- your shimmy has to because she's looking for Iku and also this locked door has suddenly opened to her and she needs to know what in the hell is going on in this apartment above her. And. When we get inside, water is going fucking everywhere. I mean, it's it's flooded up to Yashimi's knees somehow. And yeah. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> not sure how it works, but that's how it is.
1: Yeah, I don't know how it was not coming out of the open door, but hey, you know. <laughs>
0: right. It's dark water magic here. But um, Iku appears and, and Yashimi snags her, but there's this shadow of another girl, too. And Yoshimi rushes Iku out of the apartment, and we see that this uh is the kawaii apartment. This is the apartment of Mitsuko Kawaii, the missing girl, and her mother. Mm-hmm. Yes, another another piece to the puzzle has been found. Right. So, our nice guy, uh, mediator guy, shows up and is like, hey, what is going on? You know, like, we're hearing from your husband and stuff like that. And Yoshimi says, hey, we're moving. Like, we can't stay here any longer. This place, it turns out, haunted as fuck. And, <laughs> and, Among many other things, <laughs> but it is haunted. Right. Not Like, I, I got this leak. Also, a red bag keeps showing up. Uh haunted as fuck, is what I'm saying. And um, you should have seen what was going on in the apartment upstairs. And Yashimi tells him, like, hey, there's this girl who died in this apartment or something. All I know for sure is that she wants to take Iku away. And um, he's like, you know what, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Let's get this place opened up. Let's see what's going on. And so it, they do uh get the super uh up there and it's um they, they open up the door and there's water on the floor, but it's not standing water like it was before. And the agent uh Oda is there as well. And when this is all said and done, this, you know, kind of our good guy mediator dude on uh Yashimi's side apparently kind of dresses the super down for not looking into it and gives some business to this agent as well. Of just like, look, she told you that this place was, you know, she was getting flooded from the apartment above and nobody looked into this. What the fuck? And they're like, Oh, we'll take care of this right away. And up on the roof, the, you know, they go up there to check out uh, on, Yashimi's claims of of all that business and there he's like you know what all those footsteps you heard were probably local kids going into an abandoned apartment and as far as seeing somebody by the tank I mean look at this there's all these reflections and if you saw it at this time of night you would have you would have seen a reflection from this sign that blinks and you would have seen a shadow and, and he's like look everything's going good you're you're gonna get your you're gonna be able to hold on to to your daughter you've just got to keep your shit together and i know that you've been dealing with a lot and and you know these people fucked up they should have cleaned you know the the mess up with the stain and the leak and all that stuff just hold it down you're gonna be fine and we actually get like a couple of moments where We see them like recovering the ceiling and and getting rid of the stain and everything is starting to look good. And this is the point Mike that I I would say if the movie ended here, it's a perfectly happy story of a woman who, who saw a ghost rescued her daughter from it. And then they discovered the apartment was abandoned and then her apartment got cleaned up and everything was happy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and they got the entire building renovated and uh it was great for business and it turned into the hub of the city.
3: <laughs> right. Uh, if if yeah.
0: only that it happened. But <laughs> in, instead what happens is that Yoshimi starts getting Iku's bag ready for school now that uh Iku's not sick anymore from, you know, having been submerged uh in the apartment upstairs and she's going back to school but in her bag is the red bag and Yoshimi is like, Iku, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why are you messing with me now? And she's like, look, I don't know how it got there. So she calls uh Kishida, who is our good guy mediator dude, and he's he's like, Look, that's weird. Don't do anything crazy. Okay? I'm gone for the day, but just don't do anything bananas. And Iku is hanging onto the bag. Yoshimi swipes it from her. And when she does so, she has a flash of the bag hitting water. And so she takes the elevator up to the roof where she sees that water is pouring from the big tank up there. And sees an image of Mitsuko climbing the tank up to the open mouth of the of the thing and as we see that we're also seeing like yoshimi is climbing up as well yep meanwhile mike downstairs iku decides she's gonna get some water only a clump of hair comes out yummy Uh uh-huh uh (laughs) you know i here's a, a moment i will say here's my my favorite like Japanese or Asian horror use of hair. And I think it had to be in Suicide Club where the <laughs> hair gets faxed.
1: Oh man. Yes. Uh the the hair the hair in something that it shouldn't be in trope is great. There's like no bad way to do it. In almost every J horror movie, you know it's coming at some point, but it's always done creatively
0: <laughs> yeah in in a show uh, or a movie we did right here on this show um x day the speaking of sean sono um x day is nothing but like oh let's kind of make fun of japanese hair horror by going fucking crazy with it and it's wonderful if you've never seen it folks uh, there's a reason i did a show about it because sean sono is the best and x day is a hoot um <laughs> Uh, and, and there's a, a creepy dude in it that just uh, sings a, a hair song throughout much of the film that I adore. My hair, hair. It's, oh, it's so good, <laughs> Mike. Um, anyway, speaking of hair. So, uh, yeah, a little bit is coming out of the faucet. But also the tub is running. And the water's starting to get dark in there, too. And then... Mm-hmm. We cut back to the vision where Mitsko is leaning over the tank, drops her bag into the, the tank of water, which you know we got the flash of earlier, and then she falls into the tank reaching for it. And after mm-hmm. she has this vision is probably my favorite scare of the film, where Yoshimi's on this ladder and she hears a knock from inside the tank. And it's like no. Do not answer that knock.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, I believe you're in there. I don't need to answer it. I'm going to get down off this ladder. And she she also noticed like the inspection papers, right? That it hasn't been opened in a year or something. It was like the same day she went, uh, the girl went missing. So
0: right. (laughs) Putting the pieces together. Yeah. 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 And, um, Meanwhile, Eco can't turn off the titular dark water that is uh, filling the tub, and it's starting to spill over the sides. And there is clearly something in that water; it's yeah. like broiling uh, like, and whatnot. And uh, it's almost like you
1: something's like congealing under that water.
0: I know Ugh. it's it's real return of Swamp Thing. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I should not invoke the name of that crappy film <laughs> in a discussion of dark water. Um, but yeah, something is constituting itself beneath uh, beneath that, that water. And as Iku is looking at what that thing might be, hands grab her and pull her face first into the water. Mm-hmm. So Yashimi wisely fucks right off after hearing the knocks on the tank. And is rushing back to the apartment. But Iku isn't where she left her. At the table. So she follows the sound of water. And finds Iku unconscious on the floor. And she's vowing like. I'll never leave you alone again. And the tub water. Is still roiling. And Yoshimi gets Iku out of the bathroom. Out of the apartment. Water is dripping from the elevator ceiling. Sparks are flying. Water shorting out the elevator. This is all just like shit is going crazy in the uh in the apartment.
1: Yeah. Uh this is when this is the equivalent of the Nakatomi building being taken over by the by the terrorists. <laughs> uh yeah, shit's going down. Um and she's trying to make the great escape. But uh we get another little twist here.
0: <laughs> yeah, cuz we see that uh, the, like they get in the elevator and of course the elevator takes them to the fourth floor which is spooky apartment floor and Yashimi sees the door of the apartment open from her place inside the elevator and it's you know a young girl's arm pushing the door open but it's Iku and she's calling for Yashimi and Yashimi sees that the girl in her arms in the elevator is gross old Mitsuko. <laughs> and it is yeah. this withered little child ghost that calls Yoshimi Mama.
1: And we get that quick shot of the face, and God, it almost reminded me of like some something slimy out of necromantic. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like it was pretty gnarly looking.
0: It's unsettling like this child corpse in her arms is one of those things that like once you see this, you will never forget this moment in this movie. Like even knowing it's coming when you see it, you're like, ugh, no, thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, nah. I one shot of that's enough.
0: Yeah, you uh, waiter. I will not be having the child corpse tonight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so after this Mitzku ghost calls her mama, Yoshimi tells Iku, like, you've got to stay back. And the elevator then rides up to the roof while Iku is calling after. Her. And she runs. Uh, Iku now is chasing the elevator up to the roof uh, via the stairs. And, and when the elevator opens, uh, for the elevator, once she calls it back down, just a flood of water comes out. But there's no Yashimi and there's no Mitsuko in there. So the elevator goes up to the roof, comes back down, water comes out. Both both Yashimi and the Mitsko ghost are now gone.
1: Yep, spooky. Um, so on that elevator ride too, or in that elevator scene, she at first she was trying to tell. Matsuka, like, I'm not your mom, I'm not your mom, but I think she realized, like, the only way this is going to end good for my daughter is if I give in and say, okay, I'm your mom, because that's, and I think that's what, um that's what kind of differentiates this, this movie a little bit from others is I don't really feel that the ghost girl in this is necessarily malevolent, she's not out to really like kill or harm um she basically wants a mom because her mom disappeared on her and uh it's it's almost touching in a macabre way but uh and then you know the mom tries to resist it at first but then she gives in it's like okay i'm your mom i'm your mom and yeah, and then uh, when she chases up the elevator after him, yeah, she gets that flood of like mud water, which is gross. Like uh-huh. pretty much, pretty much all the water in this movie. I mean, it's not called dark water for nothing. Almost every shot of like a body of water in this is just the most disgusting water right. <laughs> you can think of. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and uh, I think this is the point that while we flash forward i think it's 10
0: years yeah yeah we go 10 years in the future and and to your point just it may be overstating it but it's also how this movie resolves itself ultimately which is that yashimi has to make this ultimate sacrifice of i have to trade my life for like this greedy little child ghost is either gonna have a companion friend you know her bath friend or she's uh-huh. gonna have a mother, and right. and so I'm gonna trade my life for for that of my child, and it's you know it's one of those uh, as we were saying the, this idea of like the tragedy of a child being abandoned begets later tragedy.
1: Yeah, and I and I also wonder because there's so much going on in this movie, like we've already said, side of the supernatural elements that you almost wonder if the mom gives in because ultimately she has in the back, even though she loves her daughter, she, she sees her own situation. You know, she's had to downgrade her job. They're living in this rundown apartment that almost in the back of her head, she's like, maybe she, you know, she would be better off with her dad. So if I give in and I'm with this ghost girl, then obviously my daughter is going to go off back to the city, probably live a, possibly a better life, you know? And, uh, So there's a lot to unpack with, you know, this finale.
0: Yeah. And, and so getting back to where you started and, and sorry to interrupt, but I felt like, like just to hammer that point home, it was important because it's so much of uh, what I think this movie is about. And, and so, yeah, we flash forward 10 years later and it's a teenage Iku and she sees this girl standing alone at an elementary school. Like, like we've seen again and again in this movie, a little girl, uh uh being left by herself as she waits for someone who may or may not ever come and uh Iku is remembering a time when she lived with her mother like she's with some of her friends and she's like yeah i went to that school and um sure enough though uh, uh, the mother does come for this little girl in pretty short order and yep uh, and Iku gets
1: a nice smile out of it
0: yeah and and Iku's like hey uh also hold on I I will be remiss if I don't point out that uh, Grown Up Eku uh is played by Asami Mizukawa um who is also known uh uh for a movie called By Location which has mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh direct translations like the, the sometimes the titles are nowhere close and sometimes they're they're close in a way that I love, and by uh location, the Japanese for it is byiroeshan, which ah. I love uh so I wanted to point out, that out for two reasons: one because it's a movie I think I've talked about here on this show before, and also because I like saying byiroeshan
3: um
0: <laughs> but anyway, so uh so teenage Iku um after seeing this little girl she's like oh yeah i, I think i lived pretty close to here actually and s- so she kind of ditches her friends to go check out the old neighborhood so to speak and goes to the apartment she should have just stayed with her
1: friends and got some ice cream like any normal teenage girl but as soon as we as soon as we get the shot because earlier in the movie we get kind of the same shot when she's a little girl with the mom they're kind of walking down that uh waterway where there's like water in the background, like a body of water, not the water in the apartment. But so we get the shot of her walking down it now as kind of the older teenage version. And as soon as we get that shot, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like you're breaking the rule of J horror. You never go back to the haunted place. <laughs> you le- if you if you made it out of that place alive and well, do not go back. But you know it's a J horror movie, so she she is taken probably out of curiosity and you know maybe just to see what if there's anything changed about the place so yeah she she shows up at the old apartment building
0: yeah and sure enough uh she sees her mother there in the in the apartment building looking Yoshimi, looking just as she did uh you know i get. i think this is roughly like eight ten years later um, yeah, or, or it's yeah, ten yeah. years later, and she's sixteen, so she would have been six at the time. So yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, so a decade later, Yoshimi looks exactly the same, and you know, Iku is like, "Where have you been here this whole time? Like we never knew what happened to you. Uh, why did you?" Well, like- I think yeah.
1: I was gonna say just to back up one moment. So she, she, she shows up at the apartment, um, and it right off the bat you know as a viewer she goes through the door and before the mom shows up there's just something obviously off because it looks like a occupied apartment like as opposed to something that's been abandoned cuz the rest of the building looks like you know it, it hasn't been looked at in the 10 years that she's been growing up you know in the city but this but this room <laughs> this room looks like someone has actually been living there so it's already kind of odd and then like you said she i think she walks into either the kitchen or a bedroom or something and the mom's there like like it's just completely normal yeah i've been here
0: yeah just hanging out just doing mom shit <laughs> and <laughs> yeah living the mom life uh yeah yeah and and you know as iku is asking her all these questions yashimi is just kind of smiling she's just like you you look so good i i I can't believe it's been so long it doesn't seem like it's been that long you know because she's on dead time and dead time like years go by super fast i don't know if you saw uh was it a ghost story was that the casey affleck oh yeah, uh, movie (laughs) um where you know decades go by in a minute kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it, it it like as a viewer, I don't think like even the least savvy of viewers are like, Oh, baby, she did. You know, <laughs> like nobody nobody's fooled by this except Iku. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who I in fairness, you know, she doesn't know she's in a horror movie. And right. it yeah, it's just like, hey, look, I'll come by a lot more now. And Yoshimi is just like, no, d- don't. And then where this wraps up is uh, we see a shadow of Mitsuko in the background. And Yoshimi's just like, you gotta go. And uh, both of them disappear, both Yoshimi and Mitsuko. And Iku takes off. Uh, w- one assumes having recalled probably more than she would like of the events of that apartment. And yeah. and in fairness, she seems to still be free. Like, she leaves and just kind of walks away with the the you know, remnants of this apartment building behind her. And we kind of end there. And I and I think that's Nakata suggesting at least that she gets away. You know, that yeah. that, that the the sacrifice Yoshimi has made was in fact worth it and that, you know, Yoshimi at the very least gets this one last moment with her daughter where she can see like, oh, you know what? She grew up and she seems just fine. That you know, she moved in with her father, and I think she says like her father got married, and there's uh you know more kids and that kind of thing. And it may not be perfect, but it's a whole family, and and she seems to be doing well. So, uh, and mm-hmm. they're they're end of the film, um, and it's a real bummer if you ask me. I don't think that's a happy ending at all.
1: I don't think it's happy either. It's it's a uh, the to the ending six with the dreary tone of the movie um I, I mean the lessons the main lesson I took from this movie is don't ever be late to pick up my kids from school uh <laughs> because that's where the curse could begin with my family so yeah <laughs> but but yeah i mean i i just think this movie is so effectively done and some you know the remake that came out i think it was like 2005 um, it's just another example of like thing lessons that they took the wrong lessons from what made this movie so good I think they tried to amp up like oh let's make the little girl like more evil and sadistic and you know um, but you know the this this original version the J horror it was just done so effectively so well um, the the real emotion in this movie is the story of abandonment, like, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's there throughout the whole movie. And it's, it, the ending, it's, it's like resolved, but it's not almost like, you know, you could go either way. Yes, there is like a resolution where she says that final line, like, Oh, I, I guess my mom's was watching me over the, watching over me this whole time. it's like, okay, fair enough. But, it's still not the same as like actually having your mom and having to have or having your mom have to make that decision to be permanent ghost mom to ghost girl, you know?
0: Right, right. And and like what sort of hell is that, you know, that Yoshimi is enduring. And to me, that's the thing that I find most haunting about this movie <laughs> is that of like what what is life like just taking care of a super clingy ghost girl? for eternity that sounds terrible yeah
1: because like even when iku like showed up to well she didn't show up to talk to her her mom but when she showed up and the mom was talking it was almost like ghost girl was like all right you've had your two minutes get the hell out of here before I, i make something happen like uh and Yoshimi and, uh, was like quick to say, yeah, you, you got to get the hell out of here now before, yeah. before ghost girl gets mad.
0: Yeah, it, it's something. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think there is this sort of implied threat of mm-hmm. of uh, Mitsko at the end of the film of like, hey, if you want to stick around, you can, you know, like if you want to be with yeah. your mom, you can be with your mom forever sort of thing. Um, yeah.
1: And, I, and I, I think the subtlety in that almost makes it more creepy than if if ghost girl's just straight up like, you know, murdering left and right. The the fact that you know, we we get just enough background on what happened to her through uh through uh the visions that we have enough of the story but it's not it's not overkill with exposition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh man, it I like I said, watching it again for the this episode. I was really struck by how well-crafted uh, a film this is i just think it's beautiful to look at as dreary as the visuals are the camera is just every shot is right and uh there's a very minimalist kind of score to this film that's really effective it's got some great ju- it's got a great creepy vibe with a couple of really good scares that uh, not just old-fashioned jump scares but but good old like like the reveal of Mitsko in yeah. in that elevator scene—it's just like oh my god, this is you know horrifying. Uh, it's it's just one of my favorites. So yeah, I I do think it's kind of on you know it, it, not quite on the Rushmore of of Asian horror, but it's certainly in the conversation. Like you could make you could write a real good essay about why this movie is uh is one of the great. Uh, examples both of what both of common tropes in asian horror and seeing those done just about as good as they ever were for for sure like for me
1: personally before i could even begin to like start ranking stuff i'd I'd have a lot of rewatching to do but i can say for a fact that dark water is one that it's just always stuck with me through the years it's 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 one that um I would say now it's more common that a lot of people have seen, but, you know, kind of when we were in that initial, when we were first getting over the J-horror explosion and it, it was a little bit becoming old hat, it was one that I like to tell people like, hey, I know you're tired of it, but if you haven't seen Dark Water, make sure to go watch that one. It would, it would always be the one that I would recommend just because uh, on an emotional level, it, it just always stuck with me. Yeah, Not that I've... Uh, Gone through tons of abandonment or anything, but it just—I just think that's the effectiveness of the story.
0: Yeah, but I think everyone can relate to being that kid, and you know, like even if it's not utter abandonment, there are still those moments where, like, oh, like I remember one time when I was supposed to get picked up from school, and you know, my my dad was late, and it did—I mean, it affected me as a kid because. It's one of those things like you count on your parents to, to do that shit and, and being a child. It, it is it is an ultimate betrayal uh, of someone you depend on to to just be entirely absent. And... That's
1: true. Yeah. And at that age, you don't understand that the rules of life will sometimes make them late. You're always just like, oh, it's like it's an emotional, deeply emotional with our late.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're not here now, when you always are here, you're never going to come. And yeah, it's it it that part of it I th- I think resonates, and I think because the performances are good, I don't I don't know if it's because it's a language thing where maybe not so good child performances are helped that I don't I I don't speak the language natively, but I think that the the young girl who plays Iku in this the young Iku I think she's very good and um is is very sweet at times and and. You know also portrays some frustration and anger and sadness, and like i I think she's got a real good performance in this movie,
1: yeah, and i I think another element of this one is other than the kind of like the the way they're doing the mediation for the divorce. I don't feel like there's too much that's lost in translation as far as nothing like overly cultural or customs that we don't understand what the hell's going on, you know. It's it's a pretty straightforward story that anyone from any culture could relate to because it's it, it almost just like you said, it kinda will take anyone back to just a childhood moment of just random times of abandonment, even if you know it wasn't ultimate abandonment, just for that frozen time in childhood, uh anyone can relate to it. And I think that crosses all cultures.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very good film. Uh, just for the record, the girl who played uh, the young Ikku, uh, Rio Kano is her name, um, has been a steadily working actress uh, since Dark Water. That was her first film. And has appeared in at least something uh, every year since. Is currently on the television series Downtown Rocket, where she plays Nano Sakamoto interesting yeah uh yeah that's fun i always like to check in on hey where where are these people now and and apparently i was right mike she was just a good little actress who turn, <laughs> turned out to have a, a, a apparently very long and successful career she's been steadily acting uh since 2002 because of this movie excellent yeah um they're, they're like we
1: the industry was like, we will not abandon you.
0: (laughs) Nice. Well done, sir. I was thinking of like, how do we wrap this conversation up? And you just did it. Well done. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it. Yeah. I think we're both saying if you've never seen dark water, what are you doing with yourself? If you're listening to this show in particular, uh, you clearly enjoy this kind of thing. And dark water is one of the greats. Um,
1: and it, and it's currently on shutter. So easy access
0: yeah boy man shutter's been good for that and and doing not just the horror stuff but doing a lot of like the you know prisoner scorpion shit and that kind of thing just doing real oddball but kind of fun cult and 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 action asian cinema i i mean for somebody that does a show like this it's a fucking godsend mm-hmm. um and and i think sure. naroy is up there um mm-hmm. which if if you haven't seen that's one we haven't done on this show yet but we will um, cause Naroy is, I mean, you know, at some point you gotta, uh, it, it, and, uh, have you seen, uh, it, well, before we totally wrap it up, have you, have anything you've seen of late from, uh, the Asian horror, uh, subgenre that ha- has tickled you? I only say that because I wanted to, um, mention, uh, Go Jam, Haunted Asylum, uh, is pretty good stuff. Um, <laughs> The last,
1: I'm trying to think, the last J-horror movie I saw, I picked up from uh, a convention. I think it's called either Ghost Story or A Ghost Story. Um, Have you seen that one where like a bunch of friends go on like a trip to the lake and one doesn't come back and there's a lot of like tropes in it, but I think it's pretty strong and the ending, there's like a little sadistic ending that I didn't see coming and Pretty good. And I think it's under, like, the Tartan Asian Extreme series. But, yeah, I I randomly picked that up at a convention, because, you know, it's like, oh, five bucks for this DVD? Okay. <laughs> and it was one I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen it previously, so it looked interesting. And that was kind of what I was going through my, like, uh, you know, it's been what, almost 20 years since the J-Horror explosion, so when I randomly see them pop up, and it's something I haven't seen, why not pick it up and you
0: know, watch it. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know that one off the top of my head, but I'll I'll look that up. I've I've been um, lately I've been on a kick of, uh, of vampire films because uh, oh, nice. those are can be very silly, and I'm just now like it's something that for a couple of years now, um, people have been asking me to do some some more of the uh, the vampire stuff, and after doing Thirst. And, and diving into that I was like yeah I, I do want to do more of the you know uh, more traditional like hopping vampire kind of kind of uh, films uh, which are, are real fun and whose titles are too long for me to remember right now because uh, <laughs> I don't remember the English translations I just remember the originals and I don't remember those very well um, but hey Mike this was great I'm so glad that uh, you jumped on to talk uh dark water, I appreciate it so much, man,
1: yeah, I think when you when you threw it out there like uh on I think it was Facebook, you just kind of I was like, uh yes, sign me up, and i I always assume that someone's got to you before I did just because you, it's always so random sometimes when you see a post, yeah, but uh I lucked out, and you hadn't already had a volunteer, I guess, so yeah, thanks for bringing me back man it's 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 been a while, I gotta do the. Now, I got to make my third appearance uh, quicker than I made my second appearance because th- this show is always a riot.
0: Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Uh, yeah. We will absolutely do more soon. Um, and I, yeah, I've got, I think next month is, is going to be quite an finally. And then, uh, and then after that, I've got uh, some open slots. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll discuss some stuff. And folks, that is going to do it for this episode of hero hero ghost show. Uh, I had a great time. I hope you did as well. Um, we will be back, uh, sooner rather than later. Hopefully I, I I've got the next few episodes planned. So I am hoping to, uh, to get all that done on the quick, like, but, uh, as I mentioned before, if you would, you know, give us a like, give us a review, give us a rating. Uh, we always appreciate it over here at the, the, the go show and, uh, and that's going to do it. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. And, uh, we'll see you next time. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Anarchy, Run It Up, featuring Miyachi. Yeah, hey,
2: yeah, uh, <laughs> Anarchy, <laughs> Anarchy, uh, we want a million hey, for this track. Ikura, ikura, <laughs> 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 <us> Yeah, yeah run it up, uh, run uh, uh, it up, uh, run it up, uh, run uh, uh, it up, uh, up uh, run uh, it up, uh, run uh, it up. Ikura, ikura, ikura,俺の価値は ikura. Yeah, run it up, 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 run it up. ライトファンタジーの中で夢を見て死にたい女神の涙見ても俺は変われない怒られる覚悟して打ち上げる花火神様この悪魔を殺してください俺は楽しむこと以外真面目じゃない今日の遊び相手は友達の宮地の遊び相手は友達の宮地みんな Ikula, ikola, ikola, olenu, achu ikola。yeah, run it up, run it up, run it up, run, it up. Yeah. run, it up, run it up. No cow no camera, this is I said no talking, just run it up I'm going to see No I'll yeah. No talk it just wanted be coming out. Wa ageru like it I'll I'll be coming No I'll get coming i No 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 yeah. Never know the border, walk to the Lord I yeah. upon you, with a fight I yeah. Can't you, fly, you make the fight I was tired of while my life is short nah. I now when I would take your order Perfect service, bring it to your door You know yeah. the double sword and on my team informants Every piece important, I'ma leave it wait. Mietaehen de kuda bae. no up 先輩。先輩。Give it that work to my side. Ikula 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 yeah up 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 ikula ikula yeah up 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 ikula ikula up 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 ikula 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 yeah up up